Hi there and welcome to The Brave. The Brave is a podcast about the people, companies, systems and ideas that are contributing to creating a better future. I'm your host Beth and Vincent and I'm the managing partner of Open Velocity and Marketing Strategy Consultancy. And I actually started The Brave way before I even started OV and it, it was an excuse to speak to interesting people doing interesting things. And in this podcast, we talk to experts, innovators, founders about what it takes to build new products, create new markets and challenge the status quo. In this episode, I speak to Ankit Srivastava, who is the co-founder and CEO of Climajo. Climajo is a procurement platform for conscious brands, supporting climate aware businesses by bringing together a curated community of sustainable suppliers and partners. But one of the key differences is there's clear reporting and metrics for tracking things like CO2 output per product. So there's a bit more kind of verification and tracking than just a simple marketplace where everyone says they're great and sustainable and all of that kind of stuff. Ankit is also the co-founder of a not-for-profit organisation working to support grassroots talent and social leadership in underserved communities in India. And we touch on this in the episode as well. And in this episode, we, we really kind of dig into, you know, why sustainability is having a moment now. I mean, it's, it's been important arguably forever, but, you know, it's increasingly becoming a focus for organisations, both large and small. We talk about some of the barriers that smaller organisations and SMEs face in being sustainable, kind of proving adherence to certain sustainability or net zero metrics. And we also chat a little bit about some of the reasons to be optimistic about the future which is sorely needed at the moment. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Ankit was, you know, a really fascinating, interesting guest with a a really kind of interesting trajectory from, um, you know, being a a kind of VC to founding his own business. And and we dig into that a little bit as well. So I will let Ankit take it away. Uh, Let me start by giving a little bit of background about myself and then I'll come to what we're doing at uh, Climate Joke. So I grew up, uh, I was born in a small town in, in northern India. I grew up there, spent the first 16 years of my life uh, there. And when I say small, I mean small by Indian standards. It still had a population of about half a million. I then spent and studied engineering, uh, studied civil engineering, uh, never actually worked as an engineer, went on to work in consulting, primarily worked for Walmart as a client, uh, for, spent a couple of years working for them for the India business, then a couple of years in China, in Shenzhen, and then sometime in the U.S. Uh, for uh, the U.S. business, which was based in Arkansas. And 2015, so about eight years back, a little over eight years back, is when I moved to the U.K. Uh, for business school. Went and did my MBA here. Uh, that was a fun couple of years. And then I went on to work for an early stage venture fund who were in the process of setting up a new fund. So worked with them to help set up the investment thesis, raise some funds. Uh, build the deal flow and do some investments and then uh, really like the work the founders were doing so decided to move on to the other side and that's why I decided to start Climate Joe uh, and Climate Joe which is actually short for Climate Journal I know it's a weird name uh, but the intention was to you know rank higher in the SEO search organically so that there is no competition within the word so that's where the word Climate Joe comes in Uh, As I said, it's short for Climate Journal because we initially started with a consumer focus. What we wanted to do was sort of build a repository and a loyalty program for individuals to track whatever they were doing in their lives for, I mean, for improving the world, I mean, on a sustainable basis, and then also earn some reward points that they can use for other brands and so on. 
Uh, we've sort of evolved since then and we have shifted to a B2B focus where we are now working with brands based in UK primarily, a couple of brands in Europe to uh, help them understand their carbon footprint, scope one and two emissions, their plastic footprint, uh, take action to uh, mitigate that footprint or reduce that footprint through sustainable procurement. And then finally, report it from a regulatory perspective and also use it to communicate it, uh, that information to their customers. So that's what we are doing. Uh, we, we are a team based out of uh, the UK and India. Perfect. Thank you. And I guess this seems like a bit of a silly question to ask, but obviously climate tech, sustainability, huge focus, both from an investment point of view and also lots of founders getting behind it as well. Why do you think the time is now for these kinds of businesses? <laughs> oh, that's a, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, and I'm glad the timing is now, you know, and there are so many founders, so many people actually working in climate. And I think uh, not to sound too gloomy, but I mean, we've, we've all heard of all the challenges that we are facing uh, from, I mean, from the industrialization that has happened over the last couple of hundred years, right? I mean, obviously the, the carbon uh, in this ecosystem is at the highest level it has been since the last two millennia. Uh, we are nowhere close to, you know, uh, keeping to the targets of the Paris Agreement. Uh, and it's not just carbon. I mean, I mean, we talk a lot about carbon. It's not just carbon. Even from a plastic perspective, if I, if I, if I were to, you know, uh, give out some of these statistics, we, we generate about 400 million tons of plastic every year. And about 60%, more than half of it goes back to the landfills, uh, with a majority of it going back to the water bodies, ocean, you know, and it's a it's a danger for the obviously the ecosystem, the biodiversity. It's also a danger for us because as humans, we ingest that plastic because it goes into the fish and we eat the, and so on. So it's, I mean, everything is interlinked, right? So it's uh, I mean, having said that, all the glue, the, the good news is we are we have finally uh, understood the grave challenges that you are facing from a carbon perspective, from a plastic perspective, from a biodiversity perspective. And so much great talent is actually moving to climate tech to build solutions, both hard tech, I mean, both deep tech uh, to capture carbon, as well as software to, you know, uh, help companies adopt these uh, these new initiatives. Uh, and it's an exciting time uh, because, as I said, the challenges are, we, we are facing grave challenges. The intention is there among the people, among the best of the talent available to work on these. And finally, I mean, I'm very glad to say that even the governments and the businesses are actively taking measures to, you know, uh, uh, work on these initiatives. So the momentum is there. Uh, the intent is there. And it's and I think it's an amazing time. The next, uh, and it's a critical time. The next 10 years are going to be critical, but it's also going to be a time where we see a lot of positive changes. Yeah, and it does. It really does feel like kind of now or, or never. And actually, yeah. you know, it, I think the comforting thing for me is actually the brightest minds are working on this. They're either working on AR or <laughs> climate tech. That seems yeah. to be yeah. the kind of split. But you, you mentioned something kind of in your introduction. I'd, I'd just like to dig into a bit further. So for listeners who may not be familiar with the term, can you kind of define what sustainable procurement means, especially in the context of kind of smaller businesses as well? Yes, of course. Uh, I mean, I think uh, from my perspective, there are two elements to it. The first is the material perspective. The other is the process perspective. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk in more detail about what I mean by that. So I talked about plastic. I talked about carbon, right? So all the businesses, they require some sort of, it's a silly thing to say, some sort of procurement, right? It could be, it could be either material which they are buying for use 
within their business or to further sell on. Now, uh, that material has a carbon footprint, as I said, as a plastic footprint. They need to understand what is that footprint? What are the alternatives that are better for the environment to those materials? And then sort of get it. And then the second is the process that I talked about. Even when you've identified the material, uh, you have to, I mean, obviously you do the discovery of the material, but you have to figure out how to get it from its supplier, how to get it into your warehouse, to use it, how to sort of, you know, uh, sell it. So then the, the, there's a material element, there's a process element. So everything that these businesses are uh, buying, they need to find a better way of buying both a better material and a better way of buying it. So that's what I mean by, I mean, sustainable procurement, especially for smaller businesses. It's a, uh, I, I want to say it's a, it's a probably a bigger challenge because smaller businesses in particular, they have higher cost pressures, if I may call them, because of either the lower margins or just the capacity for them to, you know, to, to do discovery of both the material and the supplier, figure out what, where they are, what they want to do and how to get it done. Uh, and because of the cost pressure, it becomes slightly more difficult for the smaller businesses than let's say the, I mean, the big companies. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I guess is is kind of traceability also an angle here as well, because when I'm buying stuff and it says, oh, we're sustainable, we're ethical, we're great, whatever wording it's using, yeah. part of me is like, are you? Like, what's the <laughs> proof for this? <laughs> no, absolutely. Unfortunately, we have seen a lot of instances of greenwashing in the recent years. Uh, so yes, traceability is a huge, uh, I mean, is, a, is an issue and it's a, it's a very important piece of the puzzle because traceability builds trust, as you said, from in, in the consumers, in the customers, if it's a B2B proposition. And it also helps businesses themselves to understand what they're doing mm. actually is making a difference. Uh, because uh, otherwise there's no way to know, right? I mean, uh, I, keep, I keep on saying this to my team and uh, you know, to my co-founder. Uh, measure, I mean, if you don't, if we don't measure it, we would never know what we are doing. And it applies to everything, right? If we do not know what we are doing currently and what we want to do, and we're not keeping track of that, we will never know if we are making the difference. That's why traceability is so important, not just to understand that what we are, what the businesses are doing actually makes sense, but also to keep track on an ongoing basis because. Uh, it might happen that once you, you, you've taken a decision, you move to a better, let's say you move to a better plastic-free alternative, but then how do you ensure that the same thing keeps on happening? There is no material change in, in the way that you're buying the things, in the way you are sort of selling the things, in the way you're calculating the footprint. So. And again, I'm just thinking about listeners who might be kind of sitting here, maybe they're running a small business and they might be thinking, yeah, I really want to be sustainable. I agree it's a good thing to do from a kind of altruistic and also probably a commercial point of view as well. But it sounds super complex and like a massive headache and I don't have time to deal with that. It, is it something that can be more accessible than people think? Uh, yes, I think. Uh, and, and and to our to our discussion earlier, right? I mean, because there are so many great climate tech companies that are coming up, creating solutions that are affordable that are targeted to small business owners. There are multiple solutions in the market that can be more easily adopted than the others. Now, having said that, I think uh, what I would want to tell the business owners is I it, it is a complex process. It is probably the biggest challenge that we are facing in our lifetimes as 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 in, in, in the human history, rather, right? 
but every step counts so even if we are able to take small measures so let's say you are a, you are a small business owner you have a store on the high street right now even if you are buying some packaging you're using plastic for it now if you, even if you can do uh, take a small step move take away let's say take a target of 20% reduction in plastic consumption for your business either in house or whatever you're selling that's still a big step so any movement any even the smallest of actions have have a big impact because it adds up right i mean we have hundreds of thousands of businesses i mean if each of one we take a, a, a small step it adds up and as i said there are businesses that make it easier for uh, smaller businesses to take that action at a price point that is affordable in a way that is easily accessible and easy to understand for for even for the beginners if i can call it that on them that yeah so the the key is to just get started isn't it really and some yeah, some yeah. action i like that some action is definitely better than none um for sure so i, I kind of alluded to it there but i guess with the companies you're working with have you seen any kind of commercial benefits to moving to this focus on sustainability in the supply chain uh yes for sure i mean it's a, that's an emphatic yes i'll rather rephrase my answer that's an emphatic yes and and it works on both i mean works in two if i were to call it axis right the first is the uh, the regulatory axis the second is the uh, credibility axis so uh, now regulations are coming in right increasingly we have uh, new regulations that require businesses to be more sustainable we have all heard of the net zero commitments we have all heard of you know the targets associated there with on the plastic side we have a new plastic tax in the uk that came into uh, effect last year the new epr regulations epr stands for extended producer responsibilities so new epr regulations are also coming in the uk in from october 2024 businesses are required to remove the amount of plastic the amount of recyclable content in that plastic and then they might have to pay a certain amount of penalties there based on the recyclable content that they have within the within the within their products so the regulation is obviously coming in and it's not just for the uk globally epr regulations plastic tax there's a new plastic tax in italy there's a new plastic tax in spain and uh, i mean the trend is going to continue within within continental europe in other countries so businesses need to be compliant with the regulation now if you if the businesses are not compliant with the regulation obviously there is a regulatory cost so uh, so on the first axis i said regulatory there is a regulatory cost involved to that having said that there is also a credibility uh, benefit now customers uh, i mean there are multiple surveys in the market i'll take example of a couple majority of the customers in multiple surveys more than two third of the customers surveyed actually prefer brands that are more sustainable that are actually good for the planet if you're able to demonstrate that as a brand if you're able to demonstrate that you have taken certain actions you are more sustainable uh, and going back to our traceability conversation going back to our uh, conversation on communication of communicating that sustainability impact to the brands there is definite improvement in both the top line as well as the profitability for the businesses because uh, if you're able to demonstrate sustainability you there is a higher willingness to pay from the buyers there is a higher retention rate within the customers because customers are happy with the brand with the, with the purchase that they're doing because it is good for the planet 
and it is and it also reduces it has also reduced the cost of acquisition of customers for businesses yeah and so all of this combined both the i mean from a regulatory aspect and from a credibility aspect it's good for the businesses to adopt these sustainability uh, to increase the revenue and to also avoid regulatory questions yeah we've seen this happening already and actually it is a bit of a no brainer and i think yeah the regulatory landscape surely it's it can only move in one way which is a tightening and which is try, trying to enforce action through regulation exactly exactly so i mean governments are increasingly waking up to the idea that some sort of regulation is important for the businesses not just from a compliance perspective but also to give clarity to the businesses look i'll be really honest i mean businesses a lot of businesses want to do it but want to do a lot of stuff on the sustainability front but it's also imperative from a regulatory from a government standpoint that the regulations or rather the requirements are clear right i mean look as a business if i have to report my scope one emissions my scope two emissions my plastic footprint i need to know what do i actually need to report on what do i actually need to keep track on so it is very good that the governments are taking the regulators are taking proactive action to clarify that because then it makes it easier for business to adhere to the, to adhere to the uh, uh, compliance requirements and makes it easier for them to also communicate that to their customers yeah exactly yeah and it kind of goes back to your point before about what what kind of gets measured gets monitored and gets actioned yeah. as well um yeah and the regulation definitely provides kind of clarity around that so with with your kind of journey so far if if you're happy to talk about this um what what have been the kind of main challenges you faced in kind of getting started yeah uh, <laughs> uh it's a uh, i mean we could uh, stay here all day no uh, i'm kidding i, I think uh, <laughs> uh I, I i think both the i mean the challenges of starting up a new business obviously apply because i think uh, as a i used to work as a venture investor on in the with a vc fund uh, you i at least i never realized how challenging the zero to one phase is uh, i mean one i mean the scaling phase the scaling up phase has different challenges but mm-hmm. a zero to one journey is i think is very there's no there's no template for a zero to one journey every business goes through its own journey there is no template that you can learn from that you can copy oh look this work i can do this it doesn't work that way so and it's a complicated journey to start from zero to one and it i think every founder everyone who has ever started a business would would relate to the fact that the first bit is the hardest right figuring out what works what will and more importantly what will not work because as a small business you have uh, limited uh, finite resources you want to be able to sort of focus on one thing and then go from there so i think that all applies the other challenges rather is the regulatory bit that i just mentioned regulators and government are catching up but i think businesses consumers were actually ahead of the curve on 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 that front uh, i mean from a reporting requirement perspective now we are standardizing you know everything but i mean uh, but as a business what do you other do you do you use the gri reporting standard do you use tcfd do you use sasb it was a complicated you know uh, ecosystem getting sim- it is getting simpler by the day but as a business i mean it's very difficult and as a startup it was difficult to figure out uh, okay what should we focus on and mm-hmm. it was difficult to tell the business look this is what you should focus on this is going to stay because no one knows that and i mean and it was a valid concern from smaller businesses that are our customers right okay look uh, i understand uh, 
we should report on, I mean, we should do this and we should, let's say, we should report, we should be ready for the plastic tax. What do I need to report on? I have no clarity. What is the penalty? What does the penalty look like? What are my costs? So, I mean, but, uh, so that is a big challenge. Uh, but I think the, from a regulatory perspective, that is becoming clearer. So it's a, I mean, it's a very good thing. It is only going to be better from now on. I mean, at least that's what we are thinking. Uh, that's the kind of the hope, fingers crossed. Uh, so I think that seg- regulatory was the biggest, uh, the second challenge. And the third, uh, that uh, third is from a talent perspective. Uh, mm. So a lot of very smart people are coming into climate, right? The issue is, I mean, include, and I include myself in that. We There has been no set climate education, right? I mean, because climate is a very broad field. There are varied roles, varied uh, knowledge gaps that are not, there are resources that are not easily available to fill in that gap. So there's a lot of uh, learning on your own, if I may, uh, reading up a lot of research papers, you know, reading a lot of scientific papers. I'm not, I mean, I've, I've not done that. I mean, I have, read, I have read so many research papers in the last year that I've not done in my entire life, uh, just to understand how do, I mean, how do these emission factors work? What do we, I mean, what are the takeaways from here? How do, and we're working in India as well, right? I mean, India is behind the curve from, a, I mean, as compared to European uh, countries, right? How do we sort of figure out the footprint of businesses in India, of the product mm. that, that we are getting from India? Because the emission factors are just not there because the research is not there. We have to sort of uh, build that up. So from a, both from a talent and data perspective, I think that's there with third challenge. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's an exciting journey because it's a lot of challenges, but a lot of learning opportunities. Yeah, and a lot of kind of untrodden ground. But it's interesting yes. the point you made about um, kind of you have to treat this problem differently in different countries. Because I think one of the criticisms of the Western push on kind of climate tech and solving the issue is often it comes across as telling certain nations in you know, there's quite a colonial bent to this of like we're <laughs> you know by the way we came and we took all your resources you know, a couple of hundred years ago we're back to tell you how to manage your resources now and I guess do you see kind of there's a real strength in your kind of background and obviously coming from India to be able to take everything you've learned back into that country and not it's not then coming from someone who's external if that makes sense it's a very weirdly worded question but yeah, yeah let's yeah. roll with it <laughs> <laughs> no no, no I, and i completely agree with it it's a great question and something that we have been thinking about a lot right i mean it's a very western way of looking at climate and sustainability currently and it is important it is important because it has gotten it has started us on a journey that is needed for us mm. uh but you're right i mean uh it's a it's a it's a very carbon centric view currently uh uh multiple again the most important issue is carbon we need to focus on carbon but there are i mean and, and i'll not go to the public pol- policy side or you know the political side of it but there is this entire argument around that the needs of the global south are different right because in large parts of Asia, I mean, where I come from, India, in large parts of Africa, I mean, development will happen and the, the challenges there are more related to, you know, pollution, plastic, biodiversity loss, you know, loss of natural habitats. So, uh, you, you, you're you right, it's, uh, it, it, there's no one size fits mm. all approach and you, uh, and you have to keep that in mind because carbon is not the center of conversation in India. It is increasingly becoming a topic of importance a topic of conversation but it wasn't that let's say maybe just two years back uh so but it is increasingly changing 
and and that's why the maturity is very different so there is a mm-hmm. educational play there as well why is there a need to sort of understand where you are as a business on a product basis from the carbon perspective and even other sustainability parameters uh why do you need to measure it on an ongoing basis why do you need to reduce it so we are still at the first stage of why is there a need to measure it reduces is obviously is going to be the next so uh, i know i know i'm not answering your question directly but it's it's a complicated issue because the economies are at very different stages of maturity from a climate perspective uh, and i and i know there is a, there is a article by someone called jan konietzko who talks about uh, they are they are at the stockholm uh, institute they talk about carbon tunnel vision that we are focusing a lot on carbon emissions and not focusing on you know over consumption pollution so on so i think that applies uh, and that is sort of view uh, with a lot of businesses in the global south but uh, i mean there is uh, there is an education component that is going on there is a convincing uh, <laughs> argument that is going on and that makes it more complicated i know i didn't count it as the challenges but i should have because it, it is one of the challenging aspects as well right because uh, especially if you are working across geographies that are so different uh, economies that are so different in their maturity along the climate curve but i guess it kind of goes back to one of the points we've made earlier that there isn't kind of one size fits all solution to any of this yeah. and it, it, it is it is a complex field which is why we do need the best minds working yeah. on it and we do need a bunch of kind yeah. of investment and focus on it and i guess um when, when we spoke last you mentioned there's kind of a not-for-profit angle to what you do personally and i'd love to talk a little bit about that and kind of share what you've been doing absolutely so i mean in addition to climate job there's a there's a non-profit that we have it's called the briksh uh vriksh is actually a hindi word for the tree uh so it's a hindi word for tree with, i mean the the idea was we want to just as the tree provides you know shade to passers by we want to be able to support some of uh, the uh, social leaders who are working at the grassroots level especially in sustainability and climate change we, we provide a fellowship of 12000 rupees which is roughly equal to 120 pounds 150 dollars per month which which does not sound like a lot but it's actually uh in india people who are working on the ground it's a lot of money for them to for their personal sustenance so they that they they can continue to focus on the work that they're doing uh especially in, i mean we have had fellows who are working in waste management uh in the western state of gujarat people who are working on regenerative agriculture in the state of maharashtra uh working on education in the southern state of tamil nadu so different sort of people who are, who, who are doing work at the grassroots level because uh, uh and, and and as again to the point that uh, we are just making sustainability and climate change is such a such a broad topic it it includes plastic includes pollu- air pollution includes water pollution includes waste management it includes agriculture and the way we produce our food so we we are supporting individuals or working on the grassroots level either to create new practices to educate the sort of uh, uh, society they are living in uh, uh, we want to be able to support that we are also thinking of doing more capacity building initiatives to educate them further on the opportunities available i mean help them fundraise to support their initiatives hire more people and so on uh, but it's focused on the grassroots levels it's a it's a non-profit initiative that uh, we do with uh, with, the, with, the, with a bunch of folks who raise in india brilliant so if people wanted to find out more about your work climate joe not for profit where can they find you we we are on i mean all social media uh, on linkedin on on instagram Uh, we are spelled as c l i m a j o climajo uh we are available at climajo.com for the uh, 
for the non-profit, slightly more complicated spelling because it's in Hindi. It's V-R-I-K-S-H, the vriksh.org. Uh, and again, I am there on LinkedIn. I, my name is Akish Shrivastav. You can find me there. And obviously, all the links to the work that we are doing is there. Uh, and it, it was great coming here. And thanks for having me. And I mean, good to have this conversation. My pleasure. And as usual, all those links will be down in the description for anyone wanting to follow them. Thanks so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode and conversation with Ankit. I really enjoyed it, as you probably can tell. And I'll put all of kind of the links down in the show notes if you want to follow Ankit and Climber Joe's journey further. And finally, just a little bit of an ask from me. If you would consider leaving a rating and review of this podcast on the platform of your choice, that would be much appreciated. It helps us reach more listeners and also kind of gives me, I guess, that little bit of validation. That's always quite nice. But until the next episode, I will leave it there and wishing you all the best and a good week ahead.